Welcome to Unbooking the Tankatory, the bonus series from Unbooking the Territory, where we look at the ups and downs of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. This week, Tank Abbott faces Scott Steiner. I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime there, Doug Dunger. I'll let you come out here and take a shot on me. Wait till he finds out what's behind door number one. Something down the road at the Silverdome in Sinks playing to an empty house. Because the real deal is here. Oh, here he comes. Get that fat duck ass out here. I'll tell you something, Mike. He's not done yet. This man, Tank Abbott, is making a name for himself. How are you this week, Dan? I'm very, very good, mate. Very good. For the first time, I think, since we started unbooking the Tankatory, I've actually managed to watch the whole episode that this match is from. Oh, God, I've been trying to convince you these shows are good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no more cherry-picking for you, Sunshine. No, I actually, uh, spoiler alert, I actually really enjoyed this show. I really enjoyed this show. The, these last few weeks... Um, uh, have been absolutely brilliant when we've been in the Russo and Bischoff era. Uh, complete breath, breath of fresh air. Yeah, really is, really is. So yeah, I'm more even more excited than usual to get into some tank Abbott. Uh, how are you doing, mate? You're good. Yeah, I'm. I'm really good. It's the uh, Champions League final tomorrow, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, um, it's a big weekend of football for both of us. Liverpool challenging for the uh, the Champions League and uh, and the mighty Terriers. Uh, Going for uh, going for promotion in the playoff final. I'm uh, I'm considering putting a double on because I honestly really want to see others build back in the prem. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the mighty terriers and Knott's Forest uh, logo is a tree, and you know what dogs do to trees? Piss up them. Exactly. <laughs> Piss all over them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's get some confidence in. You know, I mean, this this is going to go out weeks weeks later. We've probably lost four nil in normal time, but it'd be right. Yeah, either, either way, I think for town, it's it's and, and for Liverpool to be fair, it's both seasons are a, a, a massive, massive achievement. And yeah, yeah, I don't think I can say fairer than that. No, in the season, really happy with it. Yeah, well, you were you guys were sort of relegation favourites, weren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so anyone who bet on that has lost the money. So, so yeah, and, and so they deserve to. Exactly, exactly. Negative <laughs> Nellies. Um, so, are you drinking, Dan? Yeah, I am. I'm still carrying on with my uh, my mission to uh, to empty the fridge before I buy any more beer. So I'm still on the uh, the Ukrainian lager that I was drinking on uh, uh, on booking the territory. I'm on the Chernigivsky. So yeah, I'll be on that for the uh, for the rest of the episode. Uh, what about you, mate? What are you on? Yeah, well, we're doing a double he- header. We're, we're recording two episodes back to back. We just recorded and unbooking um, the territory. Uh, I had a few more than I expected I was going to during that recording. So I thought I'll go for something light. And uh, I saw an Amundsen Stout in the fridge. It's a barrel-aged, upside-down Christmas cake, um, the 2021 edition pastry Christmas Stout. And I looked at it initially, and I thought it was 3.8%. And I thought, that's really low for an Amundsen. So it must be like a bit 52 or something. It's actually 3.8 units, so it's 11.5%. So... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew when you said a month and it was going to be high percentage. Oh, dearie me, Robert, what have you got yourself into? Oh, dear. Well, we'll see how we go. I pulled a couple of beers out of the fridge, but I might, I might nurse this one, given it's uh, 11.5% at the end of <laughs> end of a night. Ah, oh, fuck it, go wild. Sling it down your neck and grab another one. Yeah, yes, that sounds like a plan. 
So the episode that we're reviewing today where Tank Abbott's going to have a match against Scott Steiner is from the 8th of May 2000. The intro to the show, we're getting photos from Slambury. We're seeing uh, Russo and David Flair attacking Ric Flair. We're getting uh, stills from Sting versus Vampiro. We're getting stills from Hogan versus Kidman. Hogan puts Bischoff through a table. Like that. Very much like that. It's always nice to see Eric uh, Bischoff get a bit of comeuppance, even if it was at the hands of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and then we get the infamous Ready to Rumble Triple Cage match. Uh, Arquette, DDP and Jarrett. We get Arquette turning on his friend DDP and uh, Jarrett's wins the match and then we get a slow-mo of canyon being thrown off the cage yeah so i, I know, obviously never knew this happened because i've not seen too much of this era but that looked uh looked pretty damn gnarly and the, the, oh the, yeah they the sold the hell out of it yeah i remember this from the time yeah it, it an insane bump to take um great and the, the thing i really loved about this is the next sort of scene on from this they're in the hospital and Canyon's in traction and DDP's visiting him. Mm. And they're not, you know, they're not going to have Canyon on the show, uh, you know, just having no ill effects from it. They're, they're really sort of selling the trouble that he's in. And then the new blood come into the hospital room to, to rub it in. There's Bischoff and there's Kimberly and, you know, they're, they're just taking the piss out of them, really. DDP tries to fight them off, but... Jarrett Awesome and the cat beat up DDP and then Kimberly empties a bedpan on DDP. That was amazing. Yeah. This right, this to me was up there with Austin attacking McMahon in the hospital. Obviously he didn't have the you know the foley stuff beforehand, which yeah. was just comedy gold. But that sight of Kimberly emptying piss all over DDP. Jesus Christ, what a, what a visual to kick your show off with. And yet another moment from 2000 that I feel, had WCW won the war, we've had for years all the sort of iconic moments of WWF played in video packages. We talk about, you know, like Santa Funk and, and, and this image of Kimberly with the bedpan. These are the moments that would be getting replayed ad infinitum. And, and they're just forgotten because WCW lost the war and they've had this agenda of, making WCW seem a bit crap. Yeah, and then as we're going through these Tankatory episodes, and even when I don't catch a full episode, or, you know, I only catch less than half an episode, it still looks really bloody good, and I still really enjoy it. So, yeah, it's definitely more than uh, more than we've all been, uh, been led to believe. Yeah, uh, so we're into the arena, and the new blood are coming out, Bischoff's leading them out, Arquette's there, and he's got a furry suit jacket oh god I, I thought the suit on the last episode we looked at was terrible rob you were so right that was that was reserved yeah we we're waiting for this moment and arquette cuts that sort of famous promo uh you should know better than to trust anyone from hollywood i would i had trouble figuring out if he was drunk or just acting like a douchebag he was acting like a douchebag that, yeah. that was the whole thing. He was trying to be the big I am. You know, he'd been a face up to this point in WCW. You know, this is the time that he's coming out, revealing as a heel, playing up to it. He's there with, the like, the dollar chain around yeah. his neck sort of thing, uh, you know, playing into the I'm better than you sort of thing. I, I love this from Arquette. Absolutely loved it. 
yeah, it was it was re- regardless of whether he sounded drunk or not, it, it was top shit house gloating. And then yeah. the whole thing gets ruined when Jeff Jarrett opens his mouth. Just before that, Bischoff is sort of running down this whole plan that they had to, you know, lure DDP in and get Jarrett to be champion. Mm. And he's running it down and he talks about putting Arquette in that match with Tank Abbott. And he sort of leaves this pregnant pause in it as if maybe Tank's been in it. And Tank has been like the hired gun for the New Blood recently, you know, in the past few shows that we've reviewed. So it does actually make sense that Tank would be in on it. And there was, in hindsight, looking back at that match, there's plenty of times when Tank Abbott just like turned away from Arquette Mm. and, and was ignoring him. So, yeah, it was it was definitely plausible, and it makes Tank losing to David Arquette all the more palatable for me. Yeah, yeah, that it, that it was part of Bischoff's plan all along. Yeah, although whether that's just me being a Tank Abbott fan, I don't know. I think in hindsight, when you think about it, it, it does really make sense, though, because Tank wasn't that, you know non-stop killer in the match. He, he just kept like leaving him alone, didn't he? And he, he was smiling the whole way through it. Yeah, and, true. Yeah. It's not the normal tank habit we saw, so it feels mm. like the fix was in. And there was a bit extra at the pay window for him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But as you say, then Jeff Jarrett opens his mouth. Yeah. He just he does his usual chosen one slap ass, slap notes, blah blah blah. And then we get DDP out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then the new will attack him. And in my notes, it's Sting with three exploration <laughs> marks. Yeah. Uh, my notes are all in capitals. It's Sting with six I's, three N's and four G's. Exactly. Um, yeah, Sting, it's Sting, DDP and Chronic Clean House, don't they? Because you get Bagwell and the franchise coming out and just, yeah, yeah they, all get, they all get the piss beaten out of them, really. Yeah, the, the cast of thousands. Bischoff is going to make the Millionaire Club pay for this. He's going to put DDP in a match with Mike Awesome, and he's going to put Sting in a match with Jeff Jarrett, but he's going to put the WCW Championship on the line. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. But he keeps saying, trust me, trust me, so you know there's some, uh, there's, you know, there's some shenanigans. Yeah. So next up, Hardcore Title versus Careers. Careers because the hardcore champion Terry Funk is going to have a handicap match against Norman Smiley and Ralphus. If I could only watch one match from this show, apart from the Tank Abbott match, I would have picked this one. Yeah, it's great. Did did you notice on commentary, Tony Schiavone was promoting the Beyond the Mat film? Yes, he mentioned it quite a few times. Yeah, it had just come out on VHS at this point. So it had been released like the year before, but this is when it's sort of available in the shops to buy. Yeah, it seemed a bit odd because, again, whether it's just WWE indoctrination or not, I was always led to believe that everybody in within wrestling kind of hated Beyond the Mat. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they're really sort of telling that, selling that uh, Terry Funk story. And I guess to a certain extent, you know, Funk's like coming to the end of his career in Beyond the Mat and the talk well, about his injuries, that kind of thing. So, you know, it sort of plays into that, doesn't it? Yeah, true. It, oh, definitely, the talk about Beyond the Mat definitely enhanced what was going on in this match. It really did, because it makes you think, you know, is, it, does Funk still have it? How long can he go on for? Is this the match where, you know, his knees finally give out, et cetera, et cetera? So 
it definitely had its place. I was just sort of taken aback to actually hear it. Norman Smiley tries to chase Terry Funk in a golf cart, but the turning <laughs> circle was too big. So <laughs> Funk sort of gets away. Uh, and then you end up with this scene where Terry Funk's like on the back of the golf cart and Norman Smiley's screaming as he's driving off into the distance. Oh, that was funny. But th- there was a great call at the start of the match where Madden says he's not middle-aged and crazy, he's old and insane. Oh, it was brilliant. And Funk, yeah. Funk saying the new blood will never get the hardcore title off his old wrinkled ass, so bring on the challenges. Great entertainment uh, value, this match. And at the end of the match, Funk wins, Ralphus and Norman are crying and shouting, what are we going to do? <laughs> I, actually, I caught the I caught the, that first bit of the next episode. And they're actually just sat in the car park counting the chains they've got between them. And, you know, they're saying, oh, what are we going to do? And they, they, take, um, they take a job selling uh, selling popcorn. I'm sure we'll get onto that in a future uh, Tankatari. But this is one thing I love about sort of this creative period, that actions have consequences. Yes. And and the role is it's like an improv class where they're always yes and rather than siloed and and just not thinking about the next step. It's always, right, this is what happened. What's the next thing that would happen from here? And that leads them to Terry Funk beating down two blokes with industrial baking sheets to end their careers. Exactly, yeah, yeah, in (laughs) in the kitchen. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it was great stuff. Yeah, so in the next segment, uh, Ric Flair's wanting to talk to David Flair. Matt Madden says uh, that Ric Flair was never there for David growing up, which is, is probably true. Yeah. He says that Mr. Russo has been more of a father to David than uh, Ric Flair ever was, which mm. I, I guess if he's paid him any attention, he probably was. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was kind of doubting that for a second, but yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, and then Flair's telling Luger and Liz that he needs to deal with this on his own. Flair comes out, I really loved this because he has... The, you know, the 10 pounds of gold NWA title and the big gold belt with him. Mm. Uh, he's talking about, because they're in St. Louis, he's talking about wrestling at the chase. He is listing all the NWA champions um, that have come before him. You know, it, since he broke into the business, you know, he's talking about Jack Briscoe and Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes and all this sort of stuff and saying that they all gave up the family and departed every night to be champion. You know, and and then he's saying that last night all this glory um, came to an end when my son made a mistake. Yeah, it was a really odd promo because in this era of Ric Flair, I tend to kind of zone out anyway. So I knew he was roughly banging on about his legacy. And, you know, well, they did it, so I did it. Yeah. Said, and then my son made a mistake. Did you not think maybe you, you've got a pre jump? Maybe think you're part of the problem here, Richard? I think he is. And and this is the thing about the Millionaires Club. Because, because they are so entitled, even when they're trying to be faced, they don't come across well. Mm. Uh, David Flair, Daphne and, and Russo come out. They've all got New York-type shirts on. Russo says he spits in the face of tradition. You know, he spits in the face of Dick the Bruiser and Dory Funk Jr. and mm. Sam Muchnick and Ric Flair. And and I thought that was brilliant. That Flair he, um, cut... Sorry, he saved, he saved Muchnick for last as well as the, uh, the St. Louis promoter. Yeah. But also it was like, you know, Flair had run down this list of great wrestlers and then Russo's coming back at him. Yeah. With it. 
it's yeah, it's it's like a, a sort of a tit for tat. Flair's listed all these names, and Russo's just gone fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, double fuck you, and it was it was a real strong strong moment for Russo, and just to have Flair's Rolex on a chain around his neck as well was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that that was the thing, wasn't it? That you know, he's it's uh, taking it from Flair, and now he's taking his son from him as well. Mm. Uh, Russo says it's going to be father versus son at the Great American Bash, and you know, Flair's saying you know that's not going to happen. Rick Flair says that you know Russo's burnt his bit bridges up north, but he hasn't. He can call McMahon right now, and you'll be on Monday Night Raw next week. That was a real, but uh, there's there's calling out the competition and taking shots, and then there's using the name effectively. Yeah. And bleeding in some reality. I fully believe Flair could have done that. Yeah. To be honest. And you know, maybe not necessarily made David a star, but certainly could have got him on Monday Night Raw the next week. Yeah. No, I I, I thought it was a brilliant use of it as well, because it isn't it wasn't being snidey or whatever. It was just trying to say that, you know, he had options. He he didn't have to go with the new blood. You know, he could look at his career elsewhere, sort of thing, uh, and think about family. It felt real. Yeah, and and the one thing I did agree with Flair on, where he's saying don't air your dirty laundry in public, kind of defeats the object of having a wrestling show. And you know, you kind of need to do that stuff. But when he's saying I don't want to do it here, I don't want to do it here, that made sense. That was a, a, a reasonable, real world reaction. It was. David Flair hugs Ric Flair. You think everything's good, and then he smashes a model of the Statue of Liberty over Ric Flair's head. And what a visual they had the camera angle pretty much spot on for that one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was great. It really was. Really was. The next scene we get, Ric Flair's leaving the arena, is dejected. Luger's trying to talk him round, but Flair's off and out of here. Luger, Luger doesn't know what to do without the runoff charisma. No, he doesn't. <laughs> What's he going to do on his own? Just, just pause. Unfortunately, someone's stolen his gimmick because next out, Chuck Palumbo comes out is using luger's fee music his tron video he's got luger popper pants on mark madden says this is a very fresh entrance i love it <laughs> madden <laughs> madden was on form he was he really was in fairness to palumbo he looked the part but his promo skills needed work at this point you could tell he was very early in his career it is the nice way to is the nice way to put it um, also, he said something about having 3% body fat. I'm pretty sure if he actually had 3% body fat, he would be in some serious medical trouble because I've seen things about bodybuilders who managed to get to around about the 3% body fat mark or below, and it causes enormous pain and health issues. There was a, a British bodybuilder called Dorian Yates, and I've seen pictures of him from the 80s, and you could see the shape of his skull. Through his, you know, through his face, he had that little body fat, and when he was in what he called competition shape, it used to hurt to walk because he didn't even have enough body fat or anything like that to pad out the soles of his feet. Although, to be fair, the amount of antipsychotics Vampiro was prescribed in Lucha Underground, I believe, would have, you know, killed a horse. So, yeah, but Vampiro is that crazy. Oh, perhaps. So Luger runs down and uh, beats him up and then Russo and Bischoff security are out there and they end up taking Liz away. Palumbo hits Luger with his muscle flexor and then Lex gets taken away in an ambulance. Yeah, and I'm not sad. No? 
So next up, Russo is going to put Miss Elizabeth in a match. She says it's time for her to live up to her contract and wrestle. And she's saying that she can't wrestle. And uh, Russo says um, if she can beat Daphne, then then she's free. But if Daphne wins, she has to join the new blood. See, um, what I liked about this is Russo says uh, you fulfill this lucrative contract and actually wrestle versus Daphne. And then he referred, turns out as this psycho bitch from hell. And Daphne t- just looks like that's the biggest compliment in the world to her. And just is like just gleeful at both what Russo said and the opportunity to beat the shit out of Elizabeth. Yeah, oh, Daphne was great. Yeah. Great in but, this. But Russo just happened to have wrestling gear in Elizabeth's size, which was a little bit creepy. I think they have wrestling gear in everybody's size. I think she had a choice. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, I suppose that's the other side of it. But I don't know, it just, just fit the character that Russo would just be a creeper who happened to have all these uh, all these clothes to dress her up in. It wasn't exactly. I mean, she was dressed up as a Dudley, wasn't it? Wasn't she? She was Miss Elizabeth Dudley. Yeah, she was actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, uh, it was definitely something. It's not like he was dressing up in lingerie or anything. He's got a be- he's got a very specific kink. Yeah, <laughs> and it's Bubba Ray. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's Bubba Ray's mum. <laughs> yeah. So next up, it's Sean Stasiak versus uh, Captain Hugh G. Rection. He's only a captain at this point. He's not been promoted as yet. Uh, he's recently been repackaged. The previous night's Lamborghini, the Hugh G. Rection from Hugh Morris gimmick. We got a decent promo from Stasiak, actually. Uh, it wasn't as bad as Palumbo's, but I wouldn't say it was. I think I'd, I'd go as far as serviceable, if I'm being generous. Work in progress. Um, yeah. Yeah, we get Miss Hancock out. She's watching the match. Yeah, uh, Mr. Perfect, uh, sorry, Kurt Hennig came out with uh, Captain Rection as well. He did, yes. Yeah, he ends up uh, holding Stasiak in the corner for Rection, but uh, moves Stasiak out of the way at the last second. So Rection bumps the corner and gets rolled up for the three count. Yeah, it was a bit, it was kind of nothing really this match, was it? It was just to further the. Um... Well, further the story with uh, with Stasiak and, uh, and and Hennig. Yeah, I put in my notes what's Hennig up to. It's uh, kind of interesting where it goes from here because obviously um, Stasiak's trying to steal his gimmick at this point. Nash comes out and attacks Stasiak from behind with a jackknife. Nash calls out Russo. Kevin Nash says that he's responsible for bringing Russo back to WCW. Yeah, that was an interesting wrinkle to the... Um... Uh, to the whole thing, wasn't it? it you know, so giving it, giving the whole backstory. Now he thought they were friends and and all the rest of it. But he, uh, <laughs> just he has a great life. But you know, he says he'll play the game. Says you take your hand, grab your balls, and come on down. <laughs> I, I mean, Kevin Nash has a lot of swag or whatever. But I mean, he, he is massive mates with Kevin Sullivan. I, I cannot imagine that he was politicking for Russo to come back. No, no, we're, we're not. We're, but, you know, you're letting reality get in the way of a good story there. No, in, in all fairness, yeah, and, and Nash uh, carries it off. And obviously they did work together in the WWF, so it kind of makes sense that it might be. I, I just don't mm. think that ever happened in reality. Kidman's uh, out and is challenging Nash, and uh, the filthy animals attack Nash, and then Hogan comes down for the save. Ah, wait, hang on, you, you missed out a killer line from Kidman. Because they get on the mic and they're saying uh, Russo's too busy dealing with real stars to deal with washed up, broken down wrestlers like Nash. 
and saying that Nash needs to learn his place in the pecking order and he's the low man on the scrotum pole. <laughs> scrotum pole, brilliant. Yeah. His <laughs> testicles in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hogan actually said that probably the most genuinely entertaining thing he's ever said in a promo when he came out to make the save because they proposed a tag match street fight for later on. And Hogan says, we're going to go take a Russo, wipe our Bischoffs and then beat the shit out of you little punks. <laughs> it's, it's a shame CM Punk wasn't around as well. They could have got a, a triple uh, insult in there. Yeah, it'd have been great. So there's a stretcher match, Mike Orson versus DDP. Bischoff and Kimberly are out in the joint commentary. Kimberly wants uh, a divorce paper signed mid-match, but DDP ends up tearing them up. Again, funny position for the Millionaires Club, because, I mean, I know she was being a bit of a dick about when she was wanting the divorce papers signed, but the fact that DDP was refusing to divorce her felt like a real dick move. Yeah, just just let her go. Just say, right, I'll sign them after the match. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe he was unhappy with the consent order and how much you'd have to pay in the divorce. But, you know, I, I mean, certainly agreeing to the principle that she wants to be separated feels like the first thing to do. Yeah, you'd think so. But, you know, maybe they've all been to the uh, the Hulk Hogan school of being a face. Yeah. Uh, awesome uses the distraction to DDP page onto a chair. Uh, and then there's an awesome bomb through the table. Bischoff holds that a knocked-out DDP's hand makes him sign the divorce papers, and then DDP's wheeled out. Somehow I doubt that's legally binding. Well, I don't know. Bischoff has good lawyers. And it's America. Yeah. Next up, uh, we're backstage, and Vince Russo's asking Scott Steiner for help. Scott Steiner says that he's you know, not going to do anything he wants, and uh, maybe he'll uh, break Vince Russo's arms. Oh, see, I thought he said if he touched him again, he'd break his fingers. Oh, well, he probably would break his arms and his fingers, knowing Scott Steiner. No, yeah, he'd just have a field day, wouldn't he? He'd go, he'd go joint by joint and just make sure everything's fucked up. Yeah, uh, and then the next scene we see, Russo is talking to Tank Abbott backstage. And Tank Abbott is punching a metal shutter for a laugh. Yes, because Tank likes the punches. Tank things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Next up, we get uh, Mean Gene talking to uh, Jeff Jarrett, who's preparing to face Sting. And then um, next up, we have Scott Steiner versus uh, calling out Booker T. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did like the line from Jarrett. He says, I'm going to smack Sting around like a pinata, that Jurassic slap nuts. <laughs> he spouts off about being the chosen one, and then uh, Gene Oakland's basically said, Are you going to be nice? Are you just going to insult me again? And he says, You know, me and Gene says thank you for your time, and Jarrett says something like thank you, you Jurassic slap ass. And me and Gene just goes, I tell you what, you can blow it out of here. And yeah. <laughs> he just stops dead as Jarrett turns around and like, Oh yes, I'm 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 an aging man. I cannot possibly fight you. <laughs> so as you said, next up, Scott Stein, who's the US champion, is gonna call out Booker T. We'll cover that in a bit more detail later on, because it might involve somebody that we're uh, here to talk about. Then uh, Mean Gene's interviewing Sting, and uh, Sting's obviously got this match against Jarrett coming up further in the night. Uh, he said that Jarrett's going to drop the ball and he's going to pick up the, the bat and run with it. Yeah, this basically felt like every Sting promo 
are almost every Sting promo I've heard since. Yeah. You know, given it, it's Sting has a default setting of, you know, what I call his Showtime promos. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just no. wasn't particularly memorable. Next up, it's a tag team far-way match. The champions, Chronic, are going to face the Mamelukes, Harlem Heat 2000 with Jay Biggs and Cash, and the Harris brothers. And uh, Bagwell and the franchise are going to come down on commentary. Yeah, I kind of, my, my attention was very much in and out of this match. I didn't really care, if I'm honest. No, we end up with Chronic pinning all the uh, heel teams. Bagwell and Douglas steal the tag team championships, but then Scott Steiner comes down, close lines them, but we're going to cover a bit more detail, Scott Steiner's antics later on. I do have to ask, though, with the tag team of Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas, why weren't they ever called Buff to Douglas? That is a good name for them. That that really is. Um, <laughs> the boxer might, the boxer Buster Douglas might have had a thing thing or two to say about it, but I like yeah. it. <laughs> Next up, the match is Elizabeth versus Daphne, and we've already said Elizabeth's dressed like a Dudley. Daphne has a T-shirt on that says "Liz will die." Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's like she's had it stored up for weeks waiting for this. As the match starts, there's a massive slap from Liz. Early part of the match, didn't last for long, but there was a decent start from Liz, more than you'd yeah. expect from her. It was like a beal and a bit of a snap there, wasn't it? And a, a choke in the yeah. corner. Yeah it, yeah, it was a lot more than I was expecting, so happy to see that. Then Medusa runs in and attacks Liz. Mona runs in for the save, and they end up uh, fighting. Then... Liz takes Medusa out with the chair and then R&B security take her away. It uh, ends up with no contest despite the interference from outside. Well, I was thinking about this and I know they've called it a no contest for the sake of the storyline. But technically, Liz wins by DQ because Medusa came out and attacked her. Uh, that's what Cage Match says. Yeah. Um, but, but on commentary, they said it was a no contest. Yeah, so well, what they well, WCW recognise. Well, we're going to discuss this later on. WCW recognises this as a no contest, and WCW have made a big thing about relaxing the rules and not disqualifying for interference. Okay. Fair so we're going to we're going to discuss this later on. The next we get a St. Louis street fight, which is obviously going to be in the ring because that's where street fights happen. Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash versus the Filthy Animals that turn out to be Rey Mysterio, Conan. Hoovertude Guerrero, Kidman's out there with Tori, and Mike Awesome. Yeah, they never said there'd only be two of them, did they? No, they but didn't. I have to say, because uh, at this point, it's, it's not Hulk Hogan, it's Terry Belier, isn't it? And, it is, and, yeah. and him coming out to the to the Hulk Hogan American-made music, just it just feels a bit off. It's, there's a bit of, uh, is the correct term cognitive dissonance? Yeah, I mean, it would have been better with some some different music, although I am very much enjoying this terrible AF phase of Hulk Hogan compared to the red and yellow that we'd seen uh, just prior to this. It feels genuine. Yeah. That's the thing, it feels genuine, and this is probably, dare I say, this is Hogan at his best in terms of, in terms of his character and his believability. In terms, um, yeah, in terms of believability, I think Hogan at his best is NWO Hogan. But Hogan, yeah. in terms of being a real person, this is as good as it gets going to get. Yeah, and it, it's it's mad that so few people 
will think to, and I mean, nowadays will think to tune into this on yeah. the network. But I'd, I'd really encourage people to check it out because, you know, for all, Hogan's a giant racist hot dog of a man. This really was good work. Yeah, we end up with Hogan chasing most of the filthy animals away. There's just Hoobie left who missile drop kicks Nash. And there's a, a brawl backstage and the filthy animals roll Hogan into the boot of a car. I was amazed that Hogan let himself look this week. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this. It's like, what what the hell's going on? Nash power bombs Hoover for the one, two, three. Uh, and as they're trying to escape with Hogan in the boot of the car, the Goldberg monster truck comes up and blocks the calf to save Hogan. Yeah, that was insane. But I, if it was really Goldberg, surely they'd have shown him. The thing is, as well, though, there was a, a big tie-in at the time. Hot Wheels were selling WCW monster trucks. Right. Um, and, you know, Goldberg was one of them. So, you know, if you'd have been a kid watching this, you'd have oh, wanted yeah. one of those monster trucks. 11-year-old me would have been all over that shit. Yeah, it, it was brilliant. And and the monster truck's going to be back later in the show. But, I mean, sometimes when there's, you know, we, we talked about WWE doing the whole zombie storyline, the zombie lumber match or whatever for the, the film tie-in, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, the... Space Jam match in AEW or whatever, where these crossings feel cheesy. This felt like an integral part of the story that didn't feel out of place. It felt like an awesome spot that would have made people really want to buy the product. I was hyped up because we'll discuss all the Tank Abbott stuff, obviously, just after this, but they've been building for weeks for Tank Abbott versus Goldberg. And yeah. seeing just seeing the monster truck makes it feel that little bit closer. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So next up, WCW champion Jeff Jarrett versus Sting. Epic Sting entrance. The the crow is on the Nitro Vision. We get the WCW Sting theme. Absolutely fucking loved it. Yeah, just, yeah, love everything about it. Wish they would have used the WCW theme in WWE, but who knows about music rights and whatnot. Yeah. Jarrett um, spends the early part of the match working Sting with the chair which was great. We get an awesome Sting flying clothesline over the top rope, which which was incredible. It was. I'll be honest, I didn't pay too much attention to this match because Jarrett, and it was getting late when I was watching it, so I was, uh, yeah. I was just a wee bit sleepy, but this is one of the very few times, one of my bugbears in wrestling is the champion out first, but Jeff Jarrett came out first and I thought that was appropriate because fucking... <laughs> the crowd were really invested in this match, really hot for it. Sting gets Jarrett in the Scorpion Deathlock, but Vampiro comes up through the ring and drags Sting under the ring. Loved it. Um, yeah, no DQ for interfering. It brings him back up. Sting's covered in blood. He rolls him out, and Jarrett covers him for the three count. Again, a, a moment that we've seen similar in WWE that's held up as something amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, sure, I'm sure we saw some very similar stuff in, in the Kane Undertaker feud. But yeah, because this is WCW 2000 and because WWE probably did it that little bit earlier, this just gets dismissed even though it's just as effective. I'm not sure about the foam that was spraying out of the hole. No. But it was still very good and very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a bit at the end of the show which we'll cover in a bit more detail because it might have our hero involved in that as well. So 
Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo are going to log into LinkedIn and they're going to look at the qualities that Scott Steiner might have that make him an appropriate opponent for Tank Abbott. He's Scott Steiner. <laughs> that, is a, that is a very good uh, and very applicable uh, qualification, really, isn't it? So yeah. Scott Steiner followed his brother Rick Steiner to the University of Michigan, uh, where he participated in animation wrestling. He was an NCAA Division I All-American. Yes, he was. That's which is about as high a, uh, an athletic accolade as you can get in uh, in American college, I believe. Yeah. He graduated with a degree in education, although some joker on Wikipedia has edited it to say mathematical statistics. <laughs> and kudos to that person. Yeah, and, and uh, brilliant work to slip it under the... Uh, Wikipedia algorithm. Yeah. He was he was trained by the original Sheik, who's Sabu's uncle, I believe. Yes. Debuted in 1986 in the World Wrestling Association, which was Dick the Bruiser's promotion. So I probably saw Vince Russo spitting in Dick the Bruiser's face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that promotion was, you know, one of the uh, sort of affiliated promotions with the AWA. In 88, he joins uh, the Continental Wrestling Association. And then in 89, he joins WCW initially as a singles uh, wrestler, but very soon he's tagging with his brother Rick. Yeah, if you've got one state, if you've got both standards, you use them. Yeah, exactly. 89, they beat the Freebirds and become the NWA Tag Team Champions. Better that was a really good match. 1990, they win the US Tag Team Championships. So, which championships were that? In WCW, they used to have a US Tag Team Championship. Oh, right. So I was thinking, yeah. I was sat up, I kind of brain farted and I was like, wait, they were co US champion? No, no, they're, they're US <laughs> Tag Team Champions. And then in 91, still in WCW, they win the IWGP Tag Team Championships at um, WCW slash New Japan Super Show. Very cool. Yeah, so they get referred to as the Triple Crown Champions. Because of one or all three that you can possibly win in WCW at that point. Mad that they had, well, obviously they had two sets of tag titles, but to have the IWGP as well, bloody hell. Yeah. In 92, Rick Steiner gets injured and Scott Steiner goes on to win the TV championship on his own. Yes, I think I've seen a match or two of that period. It was, well, it was Steiner being Steiner. They end up having a contract dispute with Bill Watts and uh, he ends up vacating the championship when they go to WWF. I remember hearing about that as well. Yeah, in WWF, they become champion tag team champions in 93. They were just the kings of the late 80s and early to mid-90s, weren't they, really? Yeah, yeah, they they were. They bat around 94, they're in New Japan, 95, they're in ECW, back to WCW and winning the tag team championships again in 96. Um, In 98, Scott Steiner joins the New World Order and he... rebrands himself in a homage to superstar Billy Graham with his big Papa Pump gimmick. And, and that fantastic goatee. It's, yeah. it's, such a, it's such a mad transformation from collegiate All-American Scott Steiner to yeah. big Papa Pump. It, it, it's almost unbelievable that the same person. It is. 99 is the US champion. Uh, and later on in 99, there's the fake retirement when he joins the NWO 2000. Which had so much potential. Yeah, I did. It's just a shame there were so many injuries. You know, you look at the people that were in that, you know, Bret Hart, Scott Steiner, Jeff Jarrett, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, 
you know, it, it was it was a really good group. Yeah. But yeah, everyone got injured basically. First of December '98, he signs a three-year contract at seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Which means at this point, you could get 1.15 Tank Abbots for a Scott Steiner or 1.87 Scott Steiners for a Tank Abbott. Oh, that's running it fine. That is running it fine. I th- Ooh, I'd, have, I'd rather have the Tank Abbott. Tank Abbott is better, but I mean, they got a lot of value for money out of Scott Steiner. They really did, because in this area, you just can't argue with Steiner as a top guy. No. Just his look, the fact that he, the fact is, the whole gimmick of him not giving a shit what anybody thinks and just doing whatever he wants, that feels legit to this yeah. day. Like, absolutely to this day. So, yeah, but it, it's narrow for me, but Tank Abbott edges it. Yeah, no, it certainly does. So before we go and cover the segments from this episode of Nitro, we're just going to go a little bit further back to the 27th of May, 1999. Tank Abbott, he isn't signed with WCW at this point, is uh, just a, a UFC star who's in the crowd. Yeah. Um, mean Gene's interviewing Tank Abbott, who's uh, stood behind the guardrail. Mean Gene asks Tank Abbott, he says there's going to be a no-holds-barred shoot-rules cage match, Rick Steiner versus Sting. Yeah, and Tank's just sort of stood there, just like casually stroking his beard, isn't he? Yeah, and he and, says, once again, a bunch of cherries have fallen out of the sky. Yeah, I didn't quite understand what he meant by that, but was it like supposed to be cherry picking or...? I think I think he's just saying that it's not going to be a shoot fight rules, you know. It's uh, ah, right. going to be a wrestling match. Um, you know, he's just saying it's not real sort of thing. Rick Steiner comes out. Uh, Rick Steiner says, what are you doing? Uh, you, you think uh, you beat a few guys in UFC and you come out here and talk trash. Tank Abbott says, let's go. Rick Steiner sucker punches him and uh, they exchange some punches. Tank Abbott's uh, momentarily rocked. Uh, he tries to punch uh, Steiner, but sort of the guardrail's in the way. Yeah, I've got to be honest, looking at that exchange of punches, I'm sure one of them at least made some form of contact just by the way Tank's, Tank's head moved. Whether you know how much it was, I don't know. Because obviously yeah. Tank, Tank wouldn't. Well, I don't think Tank ever sold for anybody, and nor should he. Um, but so, yeah. so they both had shoot interviews after this. Both of them agree that uh, Rick Steiner was throwing shoot punches. Rick Steiner claims that he hit Tank Abbott and left him laying. I mean, we've seen the video footage, so that's not what happened. <laughs> and we have concluded that that was a lie. Tank Abbott says that it would have been a different story if the guardrail wasn't in the way, and I tend to believe it would have been. Because Tank would have fucking killed him. Yeah, I mean, security are in there pretty quick, sharp, to uh, separate them, but yeah. Although, um, actually, thinking about it, uh, Tank Abbott versus Rick Steiner would have been a great sort of puncher versus wrestler kind of thing. Because obviously Tank, Tank was more known for his striking. Rick Stein is more of a you know a grappler. He can throw. He obviously he can throw hands if he needs to. He'd beat the piss out of me even today. But yeah, intriguing. And same with Scott Steiner, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, we may see a Tank Abbott versus Rick Steiner in a future uh, unbooking the Tankatory, and we certainly will see Tank Abbott tagging with Rick Steiner in uh, upcoming unbooking the Tankatories. Hmm. Intriguing. Yeah. So 
Going back to the episode, Scott Steiner's comes to call out Booker T. At the start of the segment, we see a sign in the crowd that says, Tank for prayers. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, what everybody needs. Scott Steiner comes out. He's got the NWO girls in tow. Just a little footnote here. Madeja's finally dyed her hair black. She's dressing in black. She's starting to look like the solo manager of Scott Steiner that we used to see in sort of later on in 2000. Yeah, I was very happy to see Madeja. Yeah, but I mean, before, you know, she, she had brown hair and was wearing pink. You know, th- this is the first time she's turned into the sort of gothic look that we'll, we'll see. From oh, that, that, that's, what I mean. that's what I mean. I, sorry, I, I was happy to see Madeja looking like Madeja. Yes, yeah, that first sign that this character's coming into uh, coming into play. Yeah, exactly. Mark Madden says Scott Steiner has disrespected Mr. Russo, not once, not twice, but three times. Why do you think Mr. Russo was talking to Tank Abbott? Way to ruin the uh, the suspense there, Mark. I was praising you before. But then Tony Savani Tony says you might, you, you might be looking for some payback, and Matt Madden says you're catching on quicker than I thought you might. <laughs> and then he kind of redeemed it in fairness. That's a decent uh, that's a decent line. But this whole Steiner promo was it was typical Steiner, but it was built around boner jokes in such a way that I wasn't laughing at it, which is an achievement. Tell about your huge erection, and he beat the after he beat the hell out of me, took his two freaks back to the hotel and found himself one. Well done, Scott. I would say that's clever for Steiner, but he's uh, uh, you know he's a college graduate, so I'd reckon it was one of those things where they say he's got a degree in communications, which means fuck all. Well, he said education, so I think that just meant he hung around long enough till they gave him a degree. But I put in my notes, um, Scott Steiner waffles on about his cock in this section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about right, yeah. I did like that, because he was saying about, you know, taking Madeja and um, Shakira back to his room and keeping them up all night. And Mark Madden said, I think they were in the room next door to me. I didn't get a wink of sleep. Amazing that in a segment of penis talk, Mark Madden is the highbrow one that serves it. Yeah. But he did, and credit to him. Yeah, it's all—it's just Mark Steiner bigging himself up, really. And what he calls Booker T and Amoeba, and he has no backbone and had his chance at Slambury, but he's got no balls and all the rest no, of it. No balls. And I've literally just watched uh, this week's MLW and Dario Cueto... Uh, had a match against Alex Hammerstone, although there were shenanigans. But in Dario Cueto's ring entrance, they announced him as the uh, the man who had the official record for the world's largest cojones. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's, I mean, and yeah, fair. The only way you could have bigger cojones is if you uh, if you step into the ring with Tank Abbott. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think Hammerstone's uh, uh, you know pretty big. Uh, Achievement for an authority figure. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. But uh, speaking of Tank, while uh, while uh, Steiner's banging on, they have uh, they have a really good camera angle that's behind him and behind Steiner and behind the ring and looking up towards the stage, and we see a shadowy figure come through the crowd and sliding behind uh, behind Steiner, and it's Tank Abbott, and we can't tell if he looks pissed or not because he's too busy punching Steiner in his dick. And Tony Giovanni has to admit that Mark Madden was right, that Tank might be out looking for uh, revenge later on. <laughs> Do you think? Do you really think, Tony? Thank you, Captain Bleeding Obvious. Yeah. 
I mean, there was Captain Rection on this show, but there was also Captain Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we got we get to see Tank throw some punches. And, uh, he, you know, obviously he just starts with a low blow, but then we get a body shot on the right hand and Steiner is out. And comment, I really liked uh, Madden's commentary again here because as Tank's going for the pay window, even though it wasn't official match, so he won't get paid, he reels off nobody punches like Tank Abbott, nobody's as bad as Tank Abbott, nobody's as mean as Tank Abbott, nobody's a destruction machine like Tank Abbott. Yeah. And then we get multiple replays of the knockout shot. It looks decent from every angle. You know, a lot of times in wrestling, when they change the angle, things can look a bit ropey. Or you know, you know, it's obvious that something might not might not quite be hitting. There was none of that from Tank, but I've got a feeling that's just because he punched Stan square in the face. No, and I don't know if he caught right at the end of all the replays. Medeja was kind of rolling uh, Scott Steiner out of the ring. I'm surprised they didn't show her there with you know some kind of uh, spatula or whatever scraping him off the mat. <laughs> Like one of the uh, like one of the wooden uh, wooden boards on a pole they use in a pizza oven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need one after that, wouldn't you? But it was um, yeah, it was, it was a nice little touch seeing Medeja brawling Steiner out the ring, and again, just an, another one of those little things that even if you don't register it fully subconsciously, you've seen one of the top guys been completely laid out by this up and comer. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. So we're going to review. Scott Steiner is then calling out Tank Abbott. Yeah, Steiner proving he's got more uh, more guts than brains and no sense, no feeling. He's uh, he's out. I think it's what two segments later. Yeah, it's the end of the far away tag team match, and uh, Buff and the franchise have stolen the tag team championship belts as they uh, liked to do in this era. And Steiner mm. ran down and double clotheslined them both, but significantly, Buff and franchise are both in the new blood. And Steiner's tentatively supposed to be in the new blood, although obviously he's got his problems with Russo. Steiner does what Steiner wants. He doesn't give a shit who he's allied with. <laughs> yeah. And then he did a great belly-to-belly suplex on Cash. It was over £400. Yes, he did. That was very impressive. I did like that. So, I mean, this era of Steiner is probably, quite possibly, the best Scott Steiner. It was phenomenal. Recently on Raw, uh, they were teasing, uh, you know, it was a triple threat match, uh, sorry, um, a, uh, a six-man tag team match, and it was a New Day and mystery tag team partner. And all the way through the show, they, they were saying, you know, uh, this man's a legend, this man's making his return, this man's uh, a freak of nature, this man does it in the ring and does it with women after the show and all this sort of stuff. And they're building it up and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, that siren's going to hit and it's going to be Scott Steiner. Yeah. It was fucking Drew, Drew McIntyre and I was like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, Drew, Drew's, Drew's good and all, but it's not yeah, Steiner. When, when you've spiked yourself up for it to be the Scott Steiner return. <laughs> and the thing is, he's just got in the Hall of Fame as well, so it makes perfect sense. It, it just, oh man, I'd, I'd still like to see, I don't know if they've already done it, but I don't think they'll, I'd, I'd like to see Scott Steiner go back to Impact and actually, and them actually do a trios match of Big Popper Pump, Little Petey Pump and Thick Mama Pump. Oh, they did, yes, they did do it, yeah, it was on one of the one night onlys. Oh, I did wonder if it, because yeah. I think that was when I was... That was when I was just out of impact for a little while, so I, I couldn't quite recall if it had actually happened uh, as a match or if it was just a uh, just a promo. Yeah, it was after you know that they'd gone off 
challenge or whatever because we used to get all the one night onlys for free so mm. it was one of the very few one night onlys i paid for separately right got you still i'd like it to happen again but yeah with this segment anyway back to it he's he's, he's out and he's calling russo new york son of a bitch and he, he's doing the whole hijack the show segment isn't he where he grabs a chair and parks his ass and just keeps calling people out. It's a bit of a trope in wrestling, but I guess at this time it probably wasn't that much of a trope. It probably hadn't been seen that often. No, I think at this point it had been done a couple of times on Raw, maybe. Yeah. So it was still sort of a novelty relatively, but he's um, he's piping off all sorts of shit, isn't he? He's, uh, he's Steiner. We see Tank in the back and he's approaching Doug Dillinger saying, you better not screw it up and he wants it done right and... Just before, yeah. did you hear the insult that Steiner said to Tank? He said, stop gumming Russo, which oh, is a, a reference to his missing teeth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brave or oh, stupid, but most likely brave Scott Steiner. <laughs> um, yeah, that, was, that was a thing. But that, this little bit where Tank's with Dillinger, you're there thinking, well, what's going to happen? Is it going to be a screw job? Is it, you know, he's... Doug gonna get his security guys to go after Steiner before Tank comes out. What is it? No, I thought I thought it was great. I mean, you know, this was the first time that Tank had done the uh, Goldberg entrance, and it shocked commentary because you know they were saying about uh, Scott Steiner holding up the show, uh, and then they thought that Goldberg was going to come out, and Scott Hudson's. Oh my God, that's one man that can get Scott Steiner out of here. I did like the Goldberg music very much. And we see a sign, who's next, you are Tank. Uh, and then you know, um, Scott Hudson saying, well, I, I guess we can forget the, uh, the format. And then we see Doug Dillinger knocking on the door, but it says Tank Abbott's dressing room. Yeah, I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. It, it's just another, just another notch in this uh, in Tank and just messing with Goldberg. Yeah. and it's so good. Yeah, commentary talking about how he's trying to coax Goldberg out, whatever it takes. He even gets the full pyro and blows the smoke out of his uh, out of his mouth. Yeah, there's a landing commentary, isn't there, about Tank Abbott being lost in the pyro? Because they'd always, always said that about Goldberg. You know, that's not Goldberg lost in the pyro. That's Tank Abbott. Yeah. At this point, everybody's playing the part, and it's just so fully behind this. It's so cool. Yeah. And Tank's there, and he's looking pissed. Naturally. But he's getting to punch someone in the face, so he'll be happy soon. Yeah, and, you know, commentary really promoting the idea of him facing Goldberg, you know, saying, if, I guess if you tank Abbott, you'll do anything to get Goldberg out. Tamp steps into the ring and Scott Steiner immediately attacks him, although we don't get any bell at this point. No, we don't, do we? No. There's a couple of shots to the body, uh, and then he starts uh, sort of swinging wildly at uh, Scott Steiner. Steiner sort of ducks a punch and catches him and throws him over his head. I really like that. The fact that Steiner ducked the big haymaker and then hit the suplex was just brilliant. And then he's straight onto Tank with the ground and pound to the back of his head. Uh, it, felt, it was one of those moments that felt legit. I've watched a few uh, Tank Abbott UFC matches, uh, and one of the sort of commentaries that, that you get on the UFC is that the Tank's an incredibly strong puncher, but he lacks the accuracy. And I think they were playing into that. So if he catches you, yeah, but yeah. He, he throws. You know, in um, a UFC fight, if you throw an eight to, get, to hit one. The, the Mo Salah of, uh, of UFC punching. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, t- he'll throw a million shots and to get 25 bangers. Yeah. 
And that's not, I'm a Liverpool fan, that's not a criticism of Salah, it's just a fact. He takes a lot of shots, that's why he scores so much. And Steiner's uh, hitting him on um, the back of his head, but Tank powers back out. And then he, he sort of pushes Steiner into the corner, sort of using that head pin and a couple of shots to the body. And then Steiner does a couple of knees to the chest and a belly-to-belly suplex. I love that belly-to-belly that Steiner hits out of the corner. It's yeah. so good. So good. Billy Foy says Scott Steiner will have none of this. He's absorbing the body shots. So, so someone's sort of standing up to Tank Abbott. And then we get this Tank Abbott's head and it rolls onto his stomach. It's, sort of, it's very much a kind of wrestling defensive move that Tank Abbott's doing here, being flat on the mat. Um, mm. And leaving it to stand to try and get him up from it. See, I'd have never spotted that because I don't know jack shit about that sort of thing. <laughs> no, but especially in things like jujitsu as well, when um, you know you have to have someone work a hold. Sort of the way that tanks there on the mat, the onus is on Scott Steiner to get in there, sort of thing. Mm. And he's waiting for his opportunity. And okay, he's you know Steiner's landing a few punches, but that that kind of did feel quite quite martial artsy that he was doing that. Finally, finally, Mickey Jay's in the ring. At least we sort of see him at this point. There's another <laughs> referee there. Scott Steiner's trying to uh, get Tank into the Steiner recliner, but as I say, he's staying flat on the mat. Steiner can't get him up for it. It looked at some point like he had a sort of cross face, and then he's just sort of riding Tank's back. He manages to get forearm under the chin. But, yeah, now that you mention it, looking at my notes, it tracks with everything you're saying. He was... It was a great defence by Tank Abbott. It's just, again, not something I'd have ever noticed or thought of. It feels, from a wrestling point of view, it looks like Tank's getting murdered. But from um, Greco-Roman wrestling or Jiu-Jitsu or whatever point of view, Steiner's not able to actually get anything in on him at this point. Mm. Yeah, clever stuff. Matt Madden's saying, we talk about uh, a street fighter, Tank Abbott, but this is Scott Steiner. Now he's uh, trying to beat Tank Abbott his own game. Uh, and you see Tank trying to power out at this point, but Steiner's trying to punch the back of his head, and then we see Rick Steiner walking through the crowd. Yeah, we do. Rick Steiner's out. He's uh, He gets a decent reaction from the crowd, to be fair, because there's quite a few of them are barking and whatnot to welcome the dog-faced gremlin, and he, he gets in the ring and just rips Scott off tank, doesn't he, and tries to reason with him. Yeah, he does, but then Scott turns around and goes back towards Tank, and then in the finest tradition of Father Ted, Scott Steiner gets kicked up the arse by uh, (laughs) Rick Steiner, just the way that Father Ted kicked Bishop Brennan up the arse. Scott Bishop Brennan Steiner. And then Rick Steiner holds Scott Steiner back. Tank Abbott punches Scott Steiner in the the gut. Just a huge right hand right to his ass cheek. Uh, Glucius Maximus. We get that annoying constant bell ringing that we get in WCW. Fucking but this is the first time the bell is rung. So technically the match is just starting. Well, it's it, but it's that constant, uh, constant ringing. And we get the straight right from Tank Abbott. And Tank and uh, Rick high five as they start stomping Scott. Yeah, so technically... I wrote in my notes that this is uh, that Tank loses by DQ, but he doesn't. This was never an official match. Yeah, well, I've got some theories on this one. So, first of all, there's no bell at the start. Yeah. Second, the bell at the end was for security to come out. It wasn't the way that they ring the bell at the end of the match. Yeah. Third, WCW had relaxed the rules about interference, as we've discussed. Uh, on, this, on this very show, fourth, 
Liz and Daphne's a no contest, which commentary explained due to Medeja and Mona's involvement, and it wasn't a DQ when Medeja attacked Liz. And fifth, Sting versus Jarrett, they allowed the contest to continue after Vampiro had literally come up through the middle of the ring and dragged Sting. Very true. Cage match have this as a DQ win for Scott Steiner. There is no way, given the universe that this exists in, that this was a DQ win for Scott Steiner. Not at all. At most, I'd call it a no contest because it was not a sanctioned match. No. Given that it's not, given that it's not a sanctioned match, the bell never rang. It was essentially just a fight. Yeah. You give the win to the man who walked away. Yeah. Which well, is Tank Abbott. <laughs> which was Tank Abbott. So, I mean, I think his wrestling record still stands at 17-3-2 at this point. He's beating the piss out of Scott Steiner record, stands at 1-0. Yeah. 2-0, because he beat him up earlier <laughs> in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 2-0 versus Scott Steiner in random attacks and fights. Yeah. And just added to the victory, at the end of this, as Tank Abbott's music's playing, they cut to Russo watching the monitor back screen, and Russo shouts at the screen, chew on that, Steiner, don't ever cross the boss, punk. Yeah, he's a big-eyed man shouting at a TV screen, because I'm pretty sure Steiner would even beat Russo up through the screen at this point. (laughs) He can't now, because he's been tanked. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know if that picked up. Then if you heard that, that wasn't a fart. That was a monitor bike moving past my house. If it was a fart, I'd be laughing more. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, you know, despite the dubiousness of uh, whether it was a match or not, I think this was still a, uh, a you know, a, definitely a game for Tank, you know, the whole further in the Goldberg angle. And, he, you know, he's gone toe-to-toe with one of the uh, one of the really, really big hitters in WCW. And yes, he's had a bit of help, but it just leads him to more prominence because Rick Steiner's finally decided... To, you know, to, to side with someone other than his brother. Yeah, uh, and he'll explain that in the next uh, episode that we review uh, as to what, you know, his motivations behind that. But certainly, I think this is uh, an interesting pairing going forward, uh, especially given, uh, as we watched earlier, the previous interaction between Rick Steiner and Tank Abbott had been that uh, brawl at the guardrail. Yeah, definitely adds, an, uh, adds an, uh, an extra sort of interesting dimension to it all. Yeah, it does. So the next section uh, that Tank Abbott's involved in, it's after the main event. Hogan has been saved from the filthy animals um, by the Goldberg monster truck. He's come back in. They've got all the big fallout with everyone in the ring. And you see Tank Abbott and Rick Steiner uh, running away from the car in the car park as Goldberg's monster truck's back and it squashes the car. It does, and it is glorious. There's something wonderful about seeing a monster truck just absolutely muller a car. I don't know what it is, but it just scratches some sort of part of my brain that's just like, it just makes me want to go, yes! <laughs> Tony Schiavone was really unfair in commentary here. He's saying they ran away from it to save their own lives. What was he expecting them to do? Go and get run over? It's not fucking Tiananmen Square. Yeah. It's not- <laughs> not going to stand there with the hands out and, and hope for the best. It's a fucking monster truck. Come no. on, Tony. You don't be a bellend. No, not good. Not good. So we've had some uh, comments from the listeners about various things. In response to the previous one about if you could cast Tank Abbott in any film or 
TV show, who would he play? We've had a couple of people that have missed. So Daniel Scott's Juggalo would say they'd put him in Terminator 2 from 1991. His tank, his character would be Tank 2000. <laughs> I can see that. The, rate, the profit off that movie would have been even higher. Yeah. And he said he had to put him in a TV show. He'd uh, put him in The Apprentice, replacing Lord Sugar. Uh, Tank would just fire everyone and keep the money for himself. And nobody would argue. No. King's Pig Bladders, that Pig Bladders, said that he'd obviously cast Tank Abbott as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I can uh, I can see that. He'd walk, he'd walk in there with... Uh, I don't know what he'd do with the scarecrow, but he'd definitely be wearing the lion's skin as, a, as some sort of uh, cloak and the uh, the tin man as some sort of armour. Rory's God at Edible Monks said, because Tank Abbott got paid roughly about £16,000 for every match, $16,000 for every match he had in WCW, he, he said that he'd wrestle anyone for $16,000, although I'm not entirely sure if that would have included Tank Abbott. I'd get knocked out by almost anybody for $16,000. Just saying. <laughs> is that an offer? We'll get knocked out for food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Norman Smiley and Ralphus the shit out of this. Just on commenting on this episode, um, I'd, I'd actually tweeted out that this particular episode that we watched, I know that WCW 2000 doesn't get much love, uh, but from an entertainment point of view, I thought it was better than any of the modern products that I'd watched in the last seven days, You know, including Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, NXT UK, Dynamite, Rampage. MLW Fusion, uh, although that didn't include uh, Dario Cueto versus Hammerstone. That, that, <laughs> that was gold dust. That, um, <laughs> yeah, but that, that, you know, the Nitro I thought was um, a lot better. But I did get quite a few responses off the back of that. So Sarah at Turd Ferguson said, uh, having watched some WCW 2000 back recently, it's actually not deserving of all the hate that it gets. And a high percentage of it, uh, a high percentage of it, yes, but it was entertaining. Yeah, absolutely agree. This is obviously my first view, and I. Agree with Sarah wholeheartedly. A lot of this was, you know, you can argue about how, you know, how quote unquote good it is, but it's entertaining, so that makes it good. Yeah. Steve was going through the, the Raws. It was uh, November 99, so he was into the Chris Kresge era, and he's saying that he was hating that, but it'd be really good to compare it to uh, the series of w- WCW. Daniel Hitchens, that uh, Dan Hitchens, said he was a huge WCW fan, and so he may be somewhat biased, however. The Nitro days were some of the greatest days of wrestling, so it really, really loved, really loved that. Can't argue with that at all. No, no, I, th- I thought I thought it was brilliant. So, yeah, no, I got completely on board with that. We tweeted out that um, in 1997, Supercomputer Deep Blue beat Chess Grandmaster Gary Kasparov after uh, facing and losing to Tank Abbott. The computer is now called Deep Black and Blue, and um, <laughs> Perry, Perry Roberts Jr. at PR Jr. 80 said, what do we call Mark Madden? And uh, we said, uh, unlucky, because he got beaten up by Tank Abbott and got green-misted by Moota. <laughs> what a good time. <laughs> that weren't a good time for you, were it, boy? No. <laughs> Perry Roberts Jr. said that he'd pay good money for Asuka to use her green mist on the AOL Time Warner merger. Yeah, fair enough. I think a lot of us would uh, think that at all. Yeah. We tweeted out that Tank Abbott is ready for Asuka, and um, MJ Green at MJG... Two two by four um, said it's big if true, and of course it's true. All, all the facts that we send out are bona fide, verifiable facts. Verifiable, certifiable, undeniable. So where can people find you, Dan? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about uh, wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. You can also hear me on the Doctor Who pod with Sarah Powell, where we look at uh, Classic Who and New Who alternately, see what lands for me as the Classic Who fan with the, uh, sorry, as the New Who fan with the Classic Who and vice versa with Sai. Like we're into season two now and uh, it's, uh, it's the same but different. We're, uh, we're going to have some special guests on and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what they have to say and what they have to pick for us. So very excited. By the, t- by the time this comes out, who knows, we might be on to season four or five. Yeah, there is a bit of a delay. Um, yeah, if, if you're watching Doctor Who, probably better to watch season five than season four if you're watching Classic Who. You're into Trout and then. But you can find me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers. So I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back. Uh, you can follow this show at UTT Tank, where you'll get some hashtag tank facts. You can follow the main show at UTT Podcast. Season one, we looked at the highest and lowest TV rated episodes for each creative era of the Monday Night Wars. And season two, we're looking at the first and lasts of wrestling. So really worth checking out. On the same feed, you can hear the One Man's Meat podcast with the real Chris Bellis and Danny at Scottish Juggalo, and they're looking at forgotten storylines, wrestlers that might not get that much love, that kind of thing. Really worth checking out that as well. So next time for Tank Abbott, Tank Abbott and Rick Steiner are going to be together, and they're going to get challenged by Chronic. Yeah, not a turn I saw this taking, but looking forward to getting into it with you. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Put it very simply, Scott Steiner has stopped the program. He has commandeered WCW Monday Nitro, and he is going absolutely nowhere. The epitome of the loose cannon, the man who walks to his own drop. Do you? Wait a minute. Oh, my God. That man could get him out of here. You, you, you're right, he can. Goldberg. Well, I guess we can't forget the format. That, this guy's not on mine. That's Goldberg's music. I don't have a... It's time. Take Abbott. And that's RNS security. Oh, what? Is this what Tank Abbott was talking about when he told Dillinger not to mess it up, Come not on. to screw it up? That's a slap in the face to Goldberg. He's trying to coax that Goldberg whatever it takes. Oh, look at this R&B security. Tank's a tough guy, I know, but does he have a death wish? I mean, he's done everything possible to aggravate and call out Goldberg. Hey, give Tank credit for guts, but sooner or later, Bill Goldberg's going to answer the bell. I would think so anyway. Tank Abbott has gotten on the bad side of Scott Steiner and Goldberg already. The fans want to see it. Scott Steiner just wants to see Tank Abbott's face. And Tank Abbott, with Goldberg's own music, comes out. Tank Abbott setting all this up. That is not Goldberg, obviously, but Scott Steiner was KO'd one punch by the pit fighter Tank Abbott. And now, lost in that pyro, is Tank Abbott. And waiting in the ring is Big Bang.